Welcome to Nobody Told Me That, your source for candid business talk and stories. Your host is speaker and author Teresa Duncan. Sit back, buckle up, and hang on. Welcome back to another episode of Nobody Told Me That. I have, you know, Kevin's going to get really mad. I have another man on my podcast. I'm actually a little bit excited about this. I have Dr. Paul Etchison with me. Hey, Paul, how are you? Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. No, Paul is, uh, so Dr. Etchison, I will call him Paul, but Dr. Etchison is an author and a dentist and and a long time, I mean, like ancient, long time ago client when you were starting out. I can't even take any credit for anything you've done really because it was so long ago and you've done so much. (laughs) I have a lot to talk about with your book because your book is phenomenal. And, you know, a lot of, absolutely. And I know a lot of my friends love reading dental books. I had no idea like that that was such a niche, but it's really getting to be. So the name of your book is what doctor? It's dental practice hero from ordinary practice to extraordinary experience. So I love it because your doctor in the picture has loafers on. And, and a mask. And I'm like, this is like the most casual dentist I've ever seen. So it's, it's really funny. Um, <laughs> so I, it is available on Amazon and I will absolutely mm-hmm. leave the, the notes or in the notes, I'll leave a link. We're not going to talk completely about his book because although there's a ton of good stuff in there, I really just like getting to who the people are in our industry. And mm-hmm. one of the first things I wanted to ask you was when you wrote this book, what exactly were you trying to to accomplish like was there do you, did you see a need or were you just like you know what i i rock and rolled this and i want to share it like what was going through your mind yeah you know it was kind of i rock and rolled this and i wanted to share it you know it was one of those just one of those kind of bucket list goals that i had i always wanted to do it and i always felt like i had a lot to offer and the more I went to different CE and I talked to people at my practice and I was a total CE junkie going to all these practice management things as well as clinical CE. I just wanted to take everything that I did at my practice that made it successful and kind of just lay it all out there. I've always kind of wanted to get into like the speaking realm and the key opinion leader realm. And I think it was just a good like like foundational starting point for me to organize all my ideas. And it's weird. It's like we, we do all these things with the practice and it's successful and we do it for reasons that we heard it from someone else or we came up with it ourselves or we came up with a system with our team. But then when you really sit down and try to put pen to paper, sometimes it's like, wow, I did, I, you know, when I write it out, it just sounds different. I didn't realize that that's what we did, but that's what we do. Um, so a lot of it just came natural. Uh, we just came up with on our own. A lot was, I mean, they're all other people's ideas. I can't take credit for everything in there because I mean, it's, you know, how it is. We're, we're all learning from each other. Yes, absolutely. One thing that was really interesting, uh, and I know a lot of consultants teach this, but the way you wrote it was like, okay, I get it now. You really have to write out step by step everything you do. Like in your setting, when the hygienist goes in the room, he or she has a couple steps to go through. It's not just walk in the room, seat the patient. Like right. there's there's actually like, it's that whole, have you ever done the peanut butter and jelly thing? The, the have <laughs> no, you done no. do you know what i'm talking about so this was no, this no. big uh, oh, don't please don't do this if you're a speaker please don't do this because it's just so bizarre so they they tell you to write down the instructions for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you should be able to follow the directions to do it you know the way it's written and then when you write out the directions you realize i, 
nobody knows how to make this. So you're supposed to open up the peanut butter jar. You're supposed to take a knife out of the drawer. Do you see what I mean? Like every little step. And I'm just like, put the peanut butter and the jelly on the bread. So if you did it my way, you would just be taking the jars and holding them upside down and just dumping peanut butter on a big loaf of bread. (laughs) So so details matter. So you, you even said the hygienist comes in, the hygienist does something with the monitor, does something with the treatment plan while you're Mm -hmm. doing something else. And when did you, when did you figure out that you needed to get that specific with your team? You know, it, it was just something that I always wanted to do. I was an advertising major, so I saw a lot of the effects of what we put out there, what we present and how that's interpreted. And much like how a brand, your brand is interpreted, it only minds in the, the or it only matters in the mind of the consumer. So what we put out there is creating an expectation and a perception of us. So we just want to be really intentional about what we did. And we sat down with my hygienist and uh, the other providers. And we just went through everything and said, hey, like, what can, how, how, what can we do to make this the best? And then we just started building on it. And over years and years, we went back a little. I mean, we went through this, what, what I call a movement sequence, which is essentially, it's the script for our new patient. And I'll explain this just a little bit more in just a moment. But we went through this and retouched on this about four times now in our seven and a half year practice right now. What it is, is that uh, you mentioned the monitor. So so before they see the patient, I want the, there's a doctor chair and there's some, some rooms have an assistant chair. They're in certain positions in the room because the last thing I want to do is the patient to have to walk around it. The patient have to move it. The last thing I want to do when I come in is have to grab the chair and roll it back in front of the patient. So that should be ready so that it just seems flawless. Mm. Um, we have um, monitors, like t- televisions in the corner of the operatories. And if you're, if I was looking at the patient, talking to the patient, it would be right behind my head. So what we found is that we want to, we shut that off. We switched that to a computer input that just shows like a logo of our practice. Because even if we muted it and the picture was still going behind me, it's distracting. So it's all these little elements that we really kind of focus on that when people come through, they go, oh, wow, that was a really like, you know, it was a a nice experience. But they don't realize all the little things that we've planned and all these things that just behind the scenes things that are happening that's making it a great patient experience. So the having, I guess, HGTV on the TV is distracting to the patient. So do you um, what if like somebody's in the middle of like a law and order case and they're ready to solve the crime? Like, what do you do? I mean, we've had it where like Maury Povich is on and they're reading the paternity results and they're like, hold on, hold on. (laughs) I'm just just thinking, wow, I would be the worst patient because I would be like, hold off on the root canal. I need to know like who killed the the husband, you know, with the butcher knife in the the study. Like I need to know that stuff. So (laughs) that hasn't come up yet. I haven't had anyone stop me or quite yet. So put a note up front. Don't schedule that Teresa Duncan. She's going to be a problem. (laughs) No, we'll we'll just make you watch like Spongebob. Bob or something like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. My son is 18 and I swear he still loves to watch SpongeBob and I never, like I never really understood it, but now I still, it's kind yeah. of funny now. And I'm now we're bonding over something that he's getting ready to leave. And now we're bonding. Isn't that always the way? Oh my gosh. You, you know, you I was, I was going to say, I went before I went to dental school, between undergraduate and dental school, I worked at a Radio Shack for a year, and that's all we watched in the store, and we loved it. <laughs> well, now that's a blast from the past, the Radio Shacks. Are they still yeah. around? Are they still I around? I think so. Not by me. 
Wow. That was the place to go if you needed like another speaker plug or, yeah. you know, the, the needle on the, we, my parents had the old radio, pl- um, I'm sorry, record players that were like, like a console, like big. Did you, mm-hmm. did your parents yeah. have those? Yes. And, yeah. and when we ran down the needle, I was the one who had to go with my dad and he had a specific needle he needed. And oh my goodness. So you just, you just brought up some, some blast for the past. And some people are like, what's a, <laughs> what is a radio shack? Did they have a house of radios? What is a radio shack? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Young people. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you don't need to know. <laughs> it's all old stuff. Nobody wants anymore. <laughs> I'm sure there's some market, but it's not for us. So, yeah, um, so, so your team, um, when I appeared on your podcast, which of course I'll, I'll include a link to that. When I, when I was on your podcast, we talked a lot about training the team and getting the team to observe your yeah. procedures and all of that. And you were, you were saying that you were going to do that at your next couple meetings. Did you, how did that go? Did you do it? Or are you still planning to do it? So, so here's what happened. I do plan on doing it. I had a, my associate had a baby and went oh. on maternity and I was oh. doing two days a week, clinical three weeks a month. And then for the past, like two months, she just came back. Nice. Um, and I was, I was doing four or five days clinical a week. So I didn't do much of anything. <laughs> you were, Cause you were down at like three days a week, right? Three or four days. Yeah, a week? Well, two, two, I was down to two. Wow. I was going into the office three, but I was seeing patients only for two days a week. And, um, yeah. So it, I'm getting back on it. I'm wrapping up a, another project. And then, yeah, that's one of the things I want to do at the practice, but I haven't done, you know, you know how it is. You know, yeah. we, we have all these like big plans and these things and it's just not enough time in the day to get it all done. Yeah. it's And it's important that we try to slow down and enjoy life. But when you have somebody True. that you're covering for, forget it. You're, I mean, it all goes out the window. So, you know, same thing for my office manager peeps that are always listening. You know how it is. You plan on going in and handling all the reports and then your assistant calls in sick or your hygienist, you know, mm-hmm. does something weird. And, you know, cause hygienists do weird things. And I say that with love <laughs> because I have a lot of hygiene friends, but y'all know you do weird things. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it is nice to be able to have, um, long-term staff though. And that's something that you brought up in the book. How long-term is your staff? I mean, is how, what's, what's going on over there? What are you putting in the water to keep people? Yeah. So we're, we're seven and a half years in and we still have everyone except for one girl had left because she went to nursing school and became a nurse. So, I mean, she's still patient. Um, we still have everybody. So for me, what that's been is this relationship. I think a big part of it is that the relationship I have with the girls that work for me, it's not just a transactional thing where, they're, they do things for me and I pay them. I mean, we have a relationship. I know what's going on in their lives. That's been more of a challenge as we've grown to 26 people now. It's hard okay. to keep up on everybody, especially when um, it, it's been a challenge. You know, I, I really tried to have to make effort to like keep up on and see what people are doing. But I think a lot of it's relationship. I think a lot of it's uh, communication. I'm always asking them, how are things? What's going on? You know, what can we work on? I openly ask for criticism from them. And I make them give it to me. So a lot of times, no, you're great. You know, I'm like, no, what can I work on? No, you're perfect. I'm like, well, you're not leaving this office until you give me something. And every now and then they give me something just really like benign. And I'm like, come on, give me something good. But um, I think it's great to ask. I think it's really important for people to ask uh, the people that work for them, like, what can I do? Like, give me some feedback. How am I doing as a leader? And then just always often, like, you have to be really careful about how you respond when you receive that criticism, because if you respond really poorly, you're not going to ever get it again. So I just saw an example that I had 
I always had this open door policy, you know, I, where I want people to talk to me. And I always felt like people are very comfortable telling me anything because I'm always very careful about how I respond because I want to know this information. I want them to be able to come to me. And I want them to be comfortable even like telling me something like, you know what, I'm just not liking my job anymore or something like that. And uh, these past two months, we did a survey. We do anonymous surveys and someone had mentioned, I know you say you have an open door policy, but whenever I bring you something, you act like you're too busy to deal with it. And so I've had to kind of have to do a little reality check saying, okay, you know what? I mean, that, that probably did happen because I mean, I was doing all these clinical days and I'm trying to do all the stuff that I was doing before. And I could be like working on trying to get the clear my desk. And then someone comes and says, to me, something about, um, hey, what do you think we should post on Facebook? Or, I, I don't know. You know, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't give a crap right now. Like, I'm doing this, you know? <laughs> so so I'm sure that's kind of how the conversation was. But I have no idea who posted that because we all do it anonymously. But um, it's just, you know, you always have to just check on that because you have to. it's how you respond will will determine how, how much information you'll get from people in the future. And I want that honesty. I want that open uh, just open dialogue if anything's going on or if they want me to know something. It's 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 helpful that they feel comfortable telling me. You know, what a stressful drive home for for you though, because you're you hear the feedback and you're probably not concerned so much with who was it, but you're yeah. probably running back all these days in your mind. Like, when did I do that? Did that happen? Yeah, you know, I've kind of learned just to uh, almost just brush that off. I I feel like I've learned that over the years and just kind of like take it, you know, give it mental energy, give it the mental energy it deserves and then just put it past and just go forward, you know, just saying, okay, I got to, I got to be, I got to worry about that. Or I got, I got to be more cognizant of that. And uh, let's just move on. Because I, I, I used to tell, <laughs> I used to tell my wife, like it's I'd be so nice to get home and get away from the practice where nobody can hurt me here, you know, because like <laughs> every time I go to practice, I'm just like, I just feel like I get emotionally abused while I'm there. And I, I don't, but it's like the schedule's too booked or, mm-hmm. you know, there's some, there's some drama, you know, we, we have a great team. And we have great systems, but I, we're just like every other practice. Things go wrong and things happen. And, you know, it's, it's, it used to be like, I used to get so stressed out about it and I come home and just be like, oh gosh, like, now they can't hurt me when I'm here and just yeah. shut my phone off. And we're <laughs> <laughs> running a business, you know, that's what you do. That's, that's this part is of the what- game. My dad is so funny. My dad's always like, you know, when you were, when you were, I was an only child, but apparently I was a force of nature. And so he uh-huh. was like, I would go to the, did you ever wonder why I was in the bathroom all the time? And I was like, yeah, I just figured, you know, that you're doing dad stuff. And he's like, no, I was hanging out. <laughs> that was my piece, you know, away from mom and dad or mom and me. And, and I think that's how, you know, we have to handle that. Like I, I always joke in my classes that when we used to do film x-rays like i would be the one that volunteered and went into the dark room because it was cold it was mm. nice and nobody could come in because it you know it would ruin the film so now you're yeah. fairly young do you remember even operating in that environment or was it all digital no when no out? yeah I, I did it at my associateship when we did it in dental school as well so I, okay it, that's not i mean i'm 10 years out but i don't i don't think they do that in the dental school anymore Okay, got it. Now, and so let's let's dig in a little bit with your staff, if you don't mind, because I, mm-hmm. I have a lot of questions, and a lot of times doctors will tell you what you want to hear, and I don't get that from you. So right. let, let's talk a little bit about the what's going on in the industry. So there's a sure. lot of back and forth with, okay, the younger people don't want to work, the older people don't want to work, like nobody wants to work. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to find good applicants, 
but here you are with a very strong long-term team. What's mm. going on out there is it's really hard to find talent. Are you, do you feel that? Or are you hearing that from, from your colleagues? You're probably hearing it more than you're feeling it. Well, I know I would, I would agree with that. And I would say for hygienists, okay, for hygienists, mm-hmm. we have never, ever struggled finding talented people. We, that is the position where we've hired for most often where we've had to like choose between people often. Nice. So, um, I haven't had that for hygienists, but for front, front desk people and assistants, that, yeah, it has been such a struggle. And we just, I don't know what it is, if God's looking out for me or what, but every time we've had, a, we hire, we'll, we'll interview people and we're like, I don't like her, I don't like her, I don't like her. And then like right in the last minute, somebody will squeeze in there and we'll be like, we love her. So nice. it, it's always worked out like that. Now, now, now I shouldn't say always. We, we have hired two people. We hired one front desk person and we hired one assistant and we both let them go within two weeks. We just knew it immediately when they started working that um, they just weren't a good fit for us. All right. So did everybody hear that? Because Mm -hmm. here's what happens is that most people bring someone on and then that first two weeks, it's like, well, maybe they'll get better. Maybe they'll get better. But you you felt it right away. Yeah, we felt it right away. I'll tell you, I had an assistant and she was... She had like two years experience and she was, she wasn't too sharp, I guess it would be a nice mm-hmm. way of saying it, but she was doing sterile with no gloves on and oh everyone's just like, I just, I feel like I'm telling her the same thing over and over again. I feel like this isn't working. And then we had this patient come in and the hygienist was talking and she's like, yeah, my, my daughter's actually a dental assistant. And we're like, oh wow, where does she work? And she worked close. We're like, wow, maybe you could have her send a resume. Maybe she'd want to work here. So she sent her resume. I talked to her on the phone. She came in the next day. And I loved her. And then mm-hmm. I, I said, you know what? I'm going to give this one girl one more chance. We're going to try to do one more filling appointment. And when she handed me the flowable, like the tip must not have been screwed on all the way. And I, when I went to go inject in the tooth, like the whole tip fell off and this, the flowable just went all over in the mouth. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. And then uh, I just wrapped up that appointment. And then I went into my office manager and said, okay, it's time to fire her. And then he did that. <laughs> And the man manager was probably like, thank God it took yeah. you long enough to well, figure you know, that out. And <laughs> you know what's weird? That was the first person I ever had to fire. And and I made my office manager do it. And I watched her walk into my office manager's office. And then I said, you get in there. Quit being a, <laughs> quit being yeah. a winner. Just get in there and do it. Be a man. And then I walked in there and I just said, hey, you know what? This is not working out. I wish you the best. You know, it's, it's you know. And then and I, I paid her for another month, too, because I just felt awful about it. But, oh, wow. That's super <laughs> nice of you. So. So did you cry? Did she cry? Did she cry or did I cry? Both. Did you? <laughs> Both. <laughs> no, no, I didn't cry. But I, I, t- I called my, I texted my office manager after she left. I said, gosh, that was kind of fun. I feel good. Let's fire more people or something. I was like, oh, probably, you're so- <laughs> I felt empowered. Let me add one more story about this person. So she comes in. Yeah. She comes in about eight months after after I let her go as a patient. And she sits there and I go in there and I go, hi, and say her name. And she goes, hey, you know, I don't know if you remember me. Like I worked here like like eight months ago. Like this is like the the, the cognition of this this person. Like the thing that I oh, got gosh. <laughs> like that I go, oh. it's been eight months and I just completely forgot. I'm like, oh, who are you? Like, what are you talking? Like, really? <laughs> I mean, so so she was not a good fit for us. But you should have looked at her and said, did it work out? Like, how was it? You know? <laughs> well, you know what's crazy is that she ended up getting a job where the she replaced the assistant that replaced her just by some weird just magic. I don't know how the heck that happened. Oh, so that office got the bad end of the swap. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah we did an assistant swap. 
That's funny. So, so yeah, it is. I'm hearing it all over that um, it's hard to find good office staff, especially assistants. Assistants yeah. seem to be the biggest pain point right now. Right. And you know, to add another thing into it, you're you're a very successful solo practitioner. I mean, you have associates, but you're mm-hmm. not corporate. No, you know? not at all. Am I am I right? You're not corporate. No, not okay. So so here is here is what I'm. I'm hearing in, in areas is when a big corporation moves in or even a, a multi-location that's starting to get their chopper, you know, get, get their choppers and they're, they're becoming a bigger group. Mm-hmm. They are hiring talent away from practices. Mm-hmm. And is that is that happening in your neck of the woods? I don't know. I don't know if people are going to there. I mean, we do have a Heartland office. We have an Aspen near us. So it's like we, we have those, but... I'm not really sure. You know, I, I just know that I'm doing okay. Now, what's been very helpful for me, as you can imagine, is that all the hires I've done has been because of growth. So mm-hmm. I'm hiring growing a growing practice and I'm hiring people into like a just an already existing culture of great team people. So they come into this where people have been working for me for a long time and we can train them in what we do and everyone kind of knows what we do. Now, if I had turnover and I was going through people after person after person, I would, I'd probably feel that a lot more. But um, I mean, we always hire for just the personality. I mean, we like to have a little bit of dental experience because we're just a very busy practice and it's hard for us to train from the bottom up. But Mm -hmm. most assistants that I've seen, I I don't care if they have 10 years experience, 15, 20 years experience or two years experience. They're all about at the same skill level in my eyes when they get to me because because all I want to know when you're assistant when you come in is that you know how to just maybe like retract and suction. That's that's all you need to know how to do when you start. Now, I'm going to show you more things than you've ever been shown in in your entire career. And you're not going to be able, you you will not believe the things that you're going to learn working with me. But um, as long as that's, I feel like is the hardest thing that just takes time to learn is just where can I put my suction to stay out of your way? All the other stuff, I can train for that. I got that. And we're going to do that. So are you adjusting your expectations then when they bring them in? And let me explain what I mean by that, because you are, you're very technologically savvy mm-hmm. with what you do. And so that means you've had to become very super efficient. So I'm assuming that you're utilizing the assistant for procedures when you're not in the Absolutely. room, um, you know, making the crown, making the yep. temps and, and all of that. So what, how, what's your learning curve then? Because they're not going to come in knowing how to do good temps if you're training them. So what's your, what's your learning curve? What's your expectation? Right. So a lot of the stuff that I'm going to have to train. So my expectation is that they're not going to know anything. And I, and I get that, you know, and, and my, my mm-hmm. two best assistants, um, and I'm going to say best assistants because they're the two that I work with the most. And the one I've been working with since I graduated, she was my very first assistant. So we're going to for 10 years. And my other one, we've been together for over seven years now. And so, I mean, they're my best assistants and we have, we've done so much training like relines and, and adjusting crowns. They get the crowns ready. They, it's just, there's so many things that they can do that they're allowed to by law. And, and then there's some things that maybe they're not allowed to, but we, we can do those as well, but we just don't tell anybody about it, you know? And uh, so mm-hmm. it, it's, it, there's, I want to show them how to do it. I want them to understand it. I want them to understand, like I have an assistant training list that I, we go through. I want them to understand like the principles of light intensity so they can understand that when that carrying light is not as close as possible, like it's not like if it gets half as far away, you lose half the power. No, you lose like, an, uh, I don't know, eight times the power. It's not a linear relationship. I want them to understand that. I don't want them to understand what a food trap is and why when we create contacts on Sarek the way we do, we can create a food trap if we do it incorrectly. Um 
it's just there's a lot to learn, but they they love learning it. They they, they want to do more than just suction. I mean, they want to be a contributing member. They want to feel good about the care we provide. And I can tell you that when when we do something great for a patient, it's not. I did the procedure and she helped me with it. It's me and her. We did it together as a team. And it's not, and I just love working with my two main assistants because it's, it's, I don't have to say anything. They, they know what I like. They, they think for me. It, we're, we're doing, it's like we're dancing. Now I have other assistants and I don't work with them as much. I train them as much as I can when I work with them, but they're with my associates assistants and they're going to train as much as my associates willing to put into it. But I do put, a, mm-hmm. I do put a lot into it as well, but I mean, not as much as I do with the people that I'm with, you know, every day I'm there. Now I know forehanded dentistry using an assistant is not as it's not taught as much as it used to mm-hmm. be in school in dental schools, which is such a damn shame because it's so beautiful to watch when it's oh, done yeah. well. Yeah. Are you, are you, were you taught that? And are you teaching that? I don't know if I was taught it. No, I definitely wasn't taught it. Um, I think my original assistant, maybe she was taught it where she was at. I, I don't know. It's just, it's always been going at it with the mentality that if I'm not, if there's any point in any procedure that I'm not doing anything, let's mm-hmm. figure out something for me to do. And I'll, I'll give this example. This happened when I was working with my associate's assistant while she was on maternity leave is that I would go ahead. I put the bond on and she would hand me the air water syringe to thin my bond. Okay, I would thin my bond with air water and then she would hold her hand out because she wanted me to hand it back to her. So then I hand it back to her. She hangs it up, puts the curing light on the tooth. And Mm. I said, well, why don't I just hang it up? And when I get done drying it, you're already curing. That'll save us. Yeah, I mean, it saves us four seconds, but it's just going at it with the mentality like that. Like if I'm not doing everything in at every moment and you're not doing something at every moment, we're going to figure out something to do. Like I when, Absolutely. Yeah. When we take off like a, a matrix band and, and my assistant will cure from the buckle and the lingual and I'll, I'll, I'll grab my handpiece. I load up my polishing bar. I grab my slow speed. I load up my, my enhanced polisher. I put that on. Um, I mean, I, I wish you could almost see us do an operation for a root canal because there's no words, but we have a system. We have an order of canals, depending on what tooth it is. And these are things that we just went over with and we've created these systems. Some of them we have documents for, and this is how we do it. And we do it like this every time and it's seamless and it goes very fast and allows us to be super efficient. That is a, that is a product that would sell like hotcakes. If you could record yourselves Mm -hmm. doing that, because there's not a lot of videos of forehanded dentistry. And when I talk to team members and they're younger, they really don't understand what I'm talking about. Now I'll show them some videos, but you know, I I really do think it's a dying art and, Mm -hmm. and, and it's just, you know, the, the pinky finger is powerful when it comes to assisting. And this is coming from somebody who was a bad assistant. I mean, I was, Mm -hmm. I, I was okay, my, but I was much better up front. But you remind me a lot of my doctor because he, he took the time to explain procedures and he would do it in patient-friendly words, mm-hmm. which was great. And then later on, we always had, um, it was a small office. We always had lunch together at the bar across the street. Yeah. And then that's when he would explain you know more of the intricacies. But had he not done that, I would not have understood, again, why it's important with the curing light and why. Right. <laughs> well, back then, that was when I was doing the amalgam, the trich Raiders, the the wiggle yeah. bugs, you know. Um, and again, young people, don't worry about it. You won't, you'll never see one unless it's in a dental museum. So it's okay. Well, they have um, those cements that need those too, so we still use yeah. them. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, and and another thing too is, you know, one of the things you learn quickly is you wipe off instruments as soon as they get into your hand, so they're ready for the next usage. And right. and it is really just a beautiful thing. So if you are doing that with your 
assistance on a regular basis, Paul. That's to me, that's a video series I would pay for for sure. Yeah, I, I, I've thought about it too. And like, and if you had me show you what my assistant does, I have no idea. I just know she's like, she's like an octopus with like eight hands, and she's got like something wrapped around each of her fingers in her left hand, mm-hmm. and, and you know she puts the suction between her knees, and it's just. I mean, they're awesome. This is what you do. Paul, Paul, you just record it and then the two, like a movie commentary, record it and then go back and do a commentary over it. That might be my next project. Oh my God, you've got to do this. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm wrapping up a video project right now and I'm like, what's next? What are we going to do next? And I'm like, I think I'm just going to chill out for a little bit and just hang out by the pool for a few months, but I'll get bored. I'll I'll have to take on another big project. That might be the next one. (laughs) I was going to say, that's what we all say, that we're going to chill out and then it just moves on to the next one. So what, what, What's your what's your project? What videos are you doing now? Tell me about that. So me and um, a dentist. Uh, there's a dentist from Canada. His name is Justin Bullar, and he lives in Florida. He owns six practices in Canada. Lives in Florida. He does two days clinical a month. And we just got together. We were friends through meeting at seminars and stuff like that, and started talking. He started talking about his projects. He wanted to do a video practice management thing. I wanted to do one too. So we teamed up, and it was actually a really good pairing because it's you got two really good perspectives, like him being almost like an absentee owner, and mine being um, having just great culture and leadership and and team and stuff like that, and just a really high performing Mm -hmm. single practice, very large practice, but single practice. And we just made. I I mean, we haven't counted yet because we're still getting edited, but I think we're like 150, 160 videos, just all encompassing everything from phone skills, to marketing, to collections, to presenting treatment, um, wow. you know, how we schedule, how do we get more efficient clinically. Um, it's mostly business related. There's not a lot of clinical stuff, but there's a lot of things about clinical efficiency, kind of the things that we just previously talked about. And um, we're just putting it all on a website with a workbook and creating, I'm sharing all of the documents I've created in my practice. He's sharing all the documents that he has in his practice. And we're just trying to create like just a one-stop shop for just dental business training. Mm-hmm. So it's hopefully that's we're gonna, phenomenal. Yeah. Hoping that's going to launch. We're hoping like the end of August, but you know how things go, but I, I'm yeah. really hoping for the end of August because we're almost pretty much done with all of the content. It's just getting it edited, getting it all looked the same and organizing it. Will you send me a link so that I can, I'm sure you have a link for updates and, and yeah, subscriptions I mean, and I'll stuff. I'll send and- you a link. It's, it's dentalbusinessmentor.com. So we have a landing page right now. It's a preliminary man- landing page and you can sign up for, if you want to get email when it's all ready, we'll send it out. But it's just, uh, it's still in its infancy and I'm hoping by the end of August, but we've been rolling on it. It's been like my nonstop thing for the past like three weeks. I haven't stopped doing anything other than that. Wow. Wow. And it's funny. You asked me, are we getting on video this morning? No wonder you asked because you're just like, you've been on video this whole time. Like enough. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. So I was cracking up because one of the questions that you asked me when I was a guest on your podcast uh-huh. was to explain a clinical procedure, you know, the way that I, I would to, um, you know, a lay person, uh-huh. you know, what's my best tip? And, and I'm not going to tell my listeners what that is because I want them to listen to that episode on your podcast. Uh-huh. But you, so I wanted to turn it around on you and ask if there's anything lately that you found yourself saying that you're like, Hey, I should record that. Or, you know, uh-huh. Hey, that was a pretty good analogy. Anything, anything cool lately? Uh, you know, yeah, I, nothing lately that's new, but I, I think one of the things that I like to say that it, it, this is my own and I, I like it cause it's, I didn't hear it from anyone else. I came up with that on my own is that when the patient comes in with the crown that's broken off, and they say, why can't you just cement it back on? 
you know, and I say, you know, a crown is like a helmet. It goes over the head. Now, if the, if the helmet comes off, we can put that helmet back on. But the problem is that the head broke off inside the helmet. So there's nothing to put back on. <laughs> oh, my God. What a visual. You need a Lego. Yeah. You need a Lego piece to illustrate that like that. <laughs> or just hold the dandelion and flip the top off, you know, like you see the kids. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's hilarious. No, and it's funny because we do come up with all these crazy um, mm-hmm. analogies because patients really don't understand what the heck we're talking mm-hmm. about. So, um, and, and, and so have you, have you ever heard like one of your team members try to do something and you're like, eh, that didn't really work. Cause have you ever yeah. heard anything like that? Oh gosh. I heard my associate say, someone asked her, what was a crown? And she goes, and what we do is she goes, what we do is we cut off the top of the tooth and we cut off about a millimeter and a half from each of the sides and we make room so we can cover it in porcelain. Oh, and I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I don't like I want to talk about cutting teeth. Yeah, yeah, that's like it's, I mean, you might as well bring out a chainsaw while you're talking about. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, we we changed that. You know, he's like, you know, Chris Bowman. Have you ever, have you met Chris yeah, Bowman? Yeah. So he always talks about termites. Like cavities are termites in the tooth, but he says you can't say termites without holding your hands up and wiggling your fingers like jazz hands. You know, termites. <laughs> your, your fingers are going these termites in your teeth. You just made me do it. I just jazz handed. So I was, I was doing it. Too. <laughs> uh, let, let's switch a little bit. Cause we were talking about teams and then we went to jazz yeah. hands. So this is all over yeah. the place. Um, but, but you, uh, what I loved about the clinic, you talked to clinical, of course, but the business part of it, you know, mm-hmm. you talked about schedule and all that, but you kept hammering home my favorite topic, which is money. So you mm-hmm. were saying that the practice has to have high cash flow because it has to reinvest in itself. You are able to give yourselves bonus. You, you've changed the way you bonus a little bit to your Mm -hmm. team, Um, Mm -hmm. but you still are able to manage your, your employee costs to, what do you have it down to? Like 28%, 30%. What do you, what do you have it to? We're about 25%. Okay. Which is really, I mean, I hear from doctors all the time. I can't even get it under 30. Like what's going on. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that profit margin that is squeezable? Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, I've been saying, and I think sometimes it's nice when somebody else says it. So uh, tell me about the squeezable profit margin that we dentists, the dental industry seems to enjoy. So just to clarify, you want me to talk about the payroll? No. No, you were talking about the overall, like you compared us to Walmart and you compared us to like a tire yeah, show. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you really think about it in dentistry, I mean, our supply costs are like almost nothing and, and, um, our fixed costs are almost nothing. And I know a lot of people said fixed costs are almost nothing. You're out, you're out of your mind. Now let me talk a little bit longer. I think it's very, not that it's, not that it's not difficult, but I feel like it's easy to keep your overhead under control. But what we'll often like dentists will get stuck doing is they get stuck in this, this penny pinching mentality. Like I got to reduce expenses, reduce expenses. When the problem is not really an expense problem, it's a revenue problem is that we don't have, we're not doing the work efficient enough. We're not doing it fast enough. We're not seeing enough people. And, and I'm not, I'm not advocating like just, you know, uh, herding them in like cattle and running them through. I'm just saying, let's get efficient about what we're doing so that we can, you know, start enjoying that larger profit margin. When you start getting up there in production and you start getting really intentional about the way you schedule and the efficiencies of the actually the delivery of the care, 
um, that's when you start seeing all those categories get a little bit under control. And then if you want to do like the, uh, I want to kind of get my supplies a little bit lower or I'm going to get this a little bit lower, it, it, it's not as big of a deal, but you still want to do it. So I, I've never been a big person on reducing expenses. Mm-hmm. I've always been more about outproducing the expenses I have. So I'll say like when we have my payroll, I'm very transparent with the staff and, I, and I'll say, hey, you know, we're going to keep this at 25 to 28% and that's where I want it. And we will do a bonus based on if we get above that production number that keeps it at that number. And we always bonus. Mm-hmm. So it's a profit share. It always keeps my stuff in line. It's performance based. We're producing at a level of that. And I can tell you like me, myself. So when my associate was gone and, and this is not everybody, I don't expect everybody to do this. But when my associate was gone on a returnee, I was producing a level 1650 an hour. Wow. Now my associate's up there about 950 an hour. And then my other associate, she's a year and a half out of school and she's doing almost $700 an hour. So these are not unobtainable numbers. Right. And I guarantee that none of these, my associates feel like they're running like crazy. It's just the way we schedule and it's the way that we deliver the care that allows us to do it in that manner. It's it's really, if you're, so if you're making more money, that 25% stays the same, but the 25% total is bigger. And and that's mm-hmm. really what you can pay out to your team. What, yes. what I hear a lot with doctors is they, exactly what you said, they try to squeeze supplies and the supplier reps complain about this because they even know like what the problem is. So you try to squeeze right. your expenses and then you try, you raise your fees. So those two things are just band-aids. I mean, the mm-hmm. real problem is, like you said, the efficiency and then the staff retention because turnover is a killer. It's just an absolute yes. killer. Now, now, so one, and I'll just to illustrate how much, you know, wiggle room we have. I remember going to, I go to a lot of insurance meetings and one of the dental consultants next to me, the ones who review your claims, he was, mm-hmm. he said to me, um, these dentists, I guess he didn't realize I was not a dental consultant. And he said, these dentists, man, they got the best profit margins in any industry. So they complain about us shaving five or 6% off their reimbursements. They're rolling it in anyways. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And and the more I thought about it though, he's he's kind of got a point, you know? I mean, it, it, restaurants have a tiny, tiny, tiny profit margin. Overall, mm-hmm. we have double digit profit margins. I think a lot of industry would love to have our profit margins. Well, yeah, I mean, you talk about like Mark Costas. He talks about when he owned a pizza place. He's like, do you know how many pizzas you have to sell to have the profit of one crown? Like, that's a lot of pizzas. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's something to think about. We we really uh, we have it good. We really do. Our industry, I think, which is kind of scary because yeah. it seems like we're we're starting to go down the, the medical path. You know, what what do you think will happen if reimbursement turns into a medical model? Like, what if it goes yeah. to single payer? What do you what do you think is going to happen there? <sighs> I, I have no idea. I don't even want to think about it. It's it's kind of scary when you when you when you think about. It. I hope it doesn't ever go the same way as medical. Yeah. You know. I mean, we we've always said, and I've heard people say, "Gosh, I wish this medical insurance would just pick up dental, and then we wouldn't have to deal with the crappy dental insurance." I, I mean, no, you don't. I mean, we don't want. No. Trust me, we don't. We do not want this covered under medical. It would be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um. I I think it's 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 hard for the people, and I think it's going to be hard for the people. The in-betweeners, you know, it's going to be the corporations are going to survive because they've got the, the scale, the size. 
and the practices like mine that are really focusing on providing a great patient experience and, and going above and beyond, we're going to do okay. And I think everybody in the middle is going to have a really hard time. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, does this make you think a little bit more about a concierge model? I mean, you're already kind of doing it, but does it make you think a little bit more about exploring that? Well, yeah, I mean, we, you mean concierge like going fee for service? Yeah. Like just, yeah. Um, if, if, this happens, be, if this happens, if yeah, it shakes out. Well, that would be our next thing I, once we get to capacity again we are five ops and we were at capacity and that was our next step but we decided to expand to 11 ops so right now we're still in growth mode but once we get there that'll be the next thing and, and we're not on a lot of plans either i mean we're mm-hmm. we're on a few third-party like umbrella plans that take little pieces of each one but we're we are definitely um not on everything and our fee schedules are pretty decent we only see about maybe like a 15 to 20 percent write-off on most of ours so that helps a lot too okay so talk to me a little bit about Watch Adonis. Now, were you a Watch Adonis? How did you get away from being a Watch Adonis? So, for me, yes, I, occasionally I'm a Watch Adonis. I mean, a Watch Adonis is anyone who just wants, is, doesn't feel comfortable talking to the patient about what they really see. And what I hate about this is this creates a situation where we might get a new patient that comes in and we see these things, but we feel like we have to gain their trust. We have to. We can't tell them everything that we see right away because then they're just going to run from us and think we're over treatment planning. But I mean, I tell I always tell people, think about if you went somewhere that you don't really like to go in the first place. And every time you go there, you they tell you you need another crown. So someone, <laughs> someone turns into, it's like the crown of the year club. Like, oh, like, yep, you broke another one. Now we need another crown. It's like, gosh, every time I go there, do you want to put another crown on my team? I always just suggest, you know, you always just got to tell the patient what it is, tell them what you see. It helps when you can show them intraorals. And I always tell people, I say, hey, you know, this doesn't make me right in your previous dentist wrong. I don't know this was even existing last time you saw them. It's just, this is the way that I treat and plan. This is how I would want, um, this is what I would do in my own mouth. And this is what I think you should do for yours. Now, having said that, I always like to ask the patients if they want to be more proactive or reactive, or I'll ask them what their goals are for their mouth. And if somebody's more reactive and they say, I just want to fix things when they break and they hurt, well, that's okay with me. I, I mean, mm-hmm. but I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to give it to them. I don't want to bring them down slowly and give them little by little. I want to give them, tell them what I see all at once. So instead of, cause I know the big thing is to phase the treatment plan and You probably still do that, but you are a big fan of giving them the total in the beginning and then breaking it down into chunks. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah. We definitely do give them the total. We don't give them little pieces. I mean, we get we break it down into pieces, so little bite-sized chunks that are more palatable, I suppose. But we we are not going to hold back. We are going to comprehensively care uh, plan them, and I will tell them. I you know this may seem like a lot. But this is the bare minimum amount of dentistry you will need for the rest of your life. This is the bare minimum. You're going to need nice. this at some point, you know, there were, we're probably, the new things are going to pop up, but this is the bare minimum. At some point we're going to do this. Now, if you were a dentist, have you ever actually, you are a dentist, obviously, but have you <laughs> ever been in the chair and somebody said to you that you needed any dental work? Did you, did that make you greatly upset? Like, how does it feel when a dentist gets told they need yeah, work? Yeah. So I had, I had a few, I had like literally like six cavities last time I got looked at. And what? It, yeah. It was, it was, so when I had ortho, I was slightly class three and I was edge to edge occlusion and what my orthodontist had done is we did a lot of interproximal reduction on my lower incisors like a lot like to where mm. there was like almost like no uh, enamel left and pretty much every one of those spots got decay in them 
because of the word oh, they wow. was missing. So then, when, yeah, when they told me, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I got a kid. I'm like, turning around, I'm like, let me see that x-ray. You're crazy. And uh, <laughs> lo and behold, there they are. So yeah, it, it didn't feel good for me. I can't imagine it feels good for anyone else. And, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I do things that are stupid as well. Like I had one tooth that hurt when I bit on it. And I waited and I put it off until eventually I needed a root canal and I had the root canal and a crown now on it. And it's, oh, wow. um, and I, I'm pretty sure within two or three years, I'll probably lose that tooth because I put it off for so long. But if it was a virgin tooth, I'm, I'm a big clencher and I wear my neck guard, but I don't always wear my neck guard. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just broke it clenching. I, I pro- apologize for the, the kind of the off ramp we just took, but I've always wondered, like, what does it feel for a dentist to be told? <laughs> feels, I feel like a failure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I just go be- home. I go home where they can't hurt me. <laughs> it's got it. I mean, I, I imagine like I, I still do insurance claims for uh, yeah. an office and a couple offices, actually small, small things. And um, when I get a claim back that I run my report and I'm like, oh, it's a, this claim got away from me. I'm like, oh, I teach this like I should, like this shouldn't happen to me. So I, I understand that that abject failure yeah, feeling we're that all you human. got. <laughs> we're, we're all human and we're all capable of, you know, we're all the same. <laughs> so what would you take on a, a an island a, a like a tropical island with you if you were stranded on an island would it be floss or a toothbrush mm, it would definitely be a toothbrush well see, okay okay no no well, now let me let me change that because i probably mm-hmm. couldn't it'd be probably hard to find a floss substitute on an island and i feel like i could find a floss sub or a toothbrush substitute like i could use a t-shirt or something like that so maybe i'd bring the floss or just sand i mean yeah couldn't you just use the sand? Like I can imagine the only thing close to that would be like a coconut husk. Yeah. Like, and that, that just doesn't sound right to me. So, cause you don't know where that coconut's been. Let's just right. be honest about that. Right. Well, that, well then the other thing too, is if I'm the only one on the Island, do I even care about hygiene at all? Oh, that's a good point. See, now that's a guy thing. That's a guy thing. That is the big difference between a guy answer and a girl answer. Because a girl answer would be like, oh my God, my hair is going to get so oily. What's going to happen here? You know? <laughs> let's be honest. That's a daily thing for a lot of guys, right? Like, let's just see how bad we can get this, right? <laughs> Uh, that's too funny. Oh yeah. goodness! So so let's let's go ahead and and start wrapping this up. I always ask people, what are you guys watching? Like, what are you seeing anything on Prime or Netflix mm-hmm. or Hulu that's that's really getting to you? You know, right now I'm not watching anything, but we just and I'm thankful I'm not watching anything because I get on these Netflix shows and I just can't stop them and I don't sleep yes. and I, I watch them all. We watched uh, one called The OA on Netflix. Oh. Have you seen that? That's like a sci-fi thing. My husband has watched that. It is, is it any very, good? Oh, wow. It's, it's mind blowing, but you can't miss a single episode. You need to watch it all because there's different dimensions and it gets a little hard to keep track of, but a lot of it's about like near death experiences and where we go and we die. And when we come back and dimensional travel, and it's just a big mind blowing. Uh, there's only two seasons of it, but it was really cool. I liked it a lot. Is that, is that your jam, the sci-fi? You know, not really. It, it's really not my jam, but it was, a, I was just looking on, I was Googling things to watch on Netflix and and people said good things about it, and we gave it a try. And I think any of these shows, if you, if you start watching them, it doesn't matter what it is. They, they're created by people that know how to create things that are entertaining. So it's yeah, they're, it's all good. Well, if you want to binge, I talked about this on my last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Dark is the one that really just it sucked me in and it frustrated really? me at the same I mean, time. I heard about yeah, that. yeah. I, so it's it's a time travel type thing, uh-huh. and and it is it's. 
it's very sci-fi and it's, there's a murder mystery involved in there too, or, uh-huh. or a kidnapping mystery. And I, I needed a guide because yeah. there were so many characters and they were aged. So like, it, oh my God, I needed a chart. It's like watching Game of Thrones. So yeah. um, it was, but it was really good, but it was kind of like that. Like it just kind of sucked you into it and it, you just didn't see things coming. And, mm-hmm. but I do prefer like lighthearted stuff or full horror. Like that's really my two things. But this one I took a chance on because everybody was saying it's so good. And yeah, sure enough, you know, and I, I texted the person who turned me onto it and I was just like, you know, what? I curse you because this made me, I felt like I was back in grad school, like studying for a final, you know? So, but anyways, <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I got to check that out. This sounds like a good one. I like the ones that are complicated. I liked how complicated Game of Thrones was and my, me and my wife will watch it. She'd be like, who is this? I'm like, oh my gosh, do you not watch? Do you not pay attention? Totally. That's me. I I get it. (laughs) Hi, listeners. Sorry about this, but Paul's audio dropped off. And so we're going to say goodbye to him now. I will put links to his podcast and to his book. I'll have all of that in the show notes. And I'm really excited for when the video series comes out. So I'll make sure to add in information about that so you can be informed of it as well. I also wanted to let you know about an event that I just found out about, which is Weave's Practice Growth Summit. It's all online and there's some CE attached as well. Go ahead and go to trygetweave.com, Weave Practice Growth Summit. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, Go ahead and register for it and then you'll have access to a ton of videos. I just checked it out and I love the fact that I'm going to be able to listen to them at my leisure because life is busy and we have patients coming at us and I have kids coming at me and I have a dog coming at me and I have calls and all that kind of stuff and I know you are the same way with your patients and your family. So check out Weave Practice Growth Summit. Check out Paul's links to his podcast and to his book, which I, I do love his book. I read it and really enjoyed it. And then I will talk to you on the next episode. Thank you. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll get our next candid discussion. Visit Teresa's website, odysseymgmt.com. That's odysseymgmt.com for more information on Teresa's courses books, and speaking schedule. Subscribe to her newsletter while you're there. Don't say we didn't tell you that.